It's a weaponized, cocaine-fueled pseudo-zombie rampage from political propaganda hell. You're listening to Eddie V's Horror Show. Good evening, boys and girls. Welcome back to the show. This is episode number 12 of Eddie V's Horror Show, and I'm your favorite Texas-based Italian horror author, Edward Villanova. Today's episode is another movie review, and I want to start getting away from those a little bit because there's so much to talk about, both in horror writing and horror appreciation. And while they can be a fun break, I feel like they've started to take over the show a little bit, and I want to keep a broad array of horror and writing topics in the show's wheelhouse. So I'll be mixing in a number of, uh, of other topics and some of those ever-popular, strange, and unexplained events from history episodes. I'm also planning to release some shorter, 20-30 to 30 minute weekly episodes that are more about writing. Uh, so I'm shooting to make content coming out every week. And then, of course, the big bi-weekly slash monthly episode, uh, depending on how good I do at cranking them out. Uh, but all that is yet to come. Today, we're talking about a film that is just a real piece of work. And that film is 2016's The Evil in Us. And I'm going to go ahead and preface this review with both a spoiler alert, because I do plan on spoiling this movie, and the first and biggest spoiler of all. Ready? This movie is awful. It's really just the worst. And uh, I'm going to get into why why the creative choices in this movie were so bad, and why it's so important not to repeat these mistakes. But before we get into this abomination of a movie, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Instead of a listener-submitted true horror story, or a two-sentence horror story, uh, or a dark haiku, today I'm reading a short horror story courtesy of Dark Dossier Magazine and its owner, Jamie Evans. Dark Dossier will also be my recommendation for this episode, so more on that at the end of the show. Today's story is Last Ride by Chrissy Rohrman, and it was published in Dark Dossier issue number 56 on February 24th, 2021. Halfway across the lake, the reality of what I'm doing strikes like a punch to the chest, and my hand slips from the rudder as I struggle to pull in a breath. Show me already. Disoriented, I turn to where Paige is leaning casually against the railing of the stern, her blonde waves highlighted by the setting sun. Huh? You brought me out here to show me something, she says, her pretty mouth smiling, her green eyes shining. Even when my attention drifts, Paige doesn't take it personally. So show me already. The boat slices through the increasingly choppy water, a frigid spray sprinkling my bare arms. I shiver. The temperature has been dropping steadily for the past hour, and it's grown too cold for my thin t-shirt. There's a storm brewing, a bad one. I feel it coming on, but Paige is new enough to town not to notice the signs. New enough to maintain that smile as the clouds are gathering over our heads. New enough to have been the one chosen for this ride. This last ride. Swallowing the lump in my throat, I look to our destination. The island has no name, sitting at the center of the massive Bantam Lake like it was stamped there. The beach along the western shore is uninviting, rocky and short, too quickly backing up against a line of skeletal gray trees that seem to claw for the sky. 364 days a year, the residents of Milden pretend that this island doesn't exist, 
It's easier that way, on the mind and soul. But today is that one day, the one on which Azek demands a sacrifice, an offering for all they've done to make and keep the town prosperous and safe. Today, a storm is brewing. Today, I shoulder the responsibility that has been carried by my family for generations. Except, I can't do it. Even if it weren't Paige, the first real friend I've made since grade school, Paige, who is always smiling, who doesn't know darkness and hasn't been tainted by Milden's history. Even if it were some homeless man pulled from a downtown alleyway, I don't think I could do this. I flip the switch, cutting the engine. The boat stutters to a stop and lulls in the water, bobbing in the roughening waves. The silence is heavy, unnerving. Paige straightens, a crease between her brows. Connor, what's wrong? They can't know you're alive. My mind reels as I try to think of a way to save her. Her mouth drops open, and she wraps her arms around herself. Who can't know I'm... what? Barking a crazed laugh, I threw a hand toward the shore behind her. For Christ's sake, Paige, didn't you notice that half the town was standing at the dock when we left? I thought we were just taking a quick ride around the lake. Her eyes are wide, her shoulders shaking. Connor, you're scaring me. I know. I'm sorry. I spot the life jacket next to Paige. You have to jump, I tell her. Swim for the other side. When she starts to protest, I hold up a hand. Just trust me, okay? Things are about to get very bad in Milden. You have no idea what's... There's going to be a score to settle, and we can't be anywhere near here when that happens. She takes the jacket, fingers trembling. Okay, she whispers. I'll explain everything once we're well away. While she fastens the straps of the life jacket around her slender waist, I squint once more towards the shoreline. We're far enough away. I can't see them any better than they can see us. But I know they're standing there, and they'll know something's wrong if I'm not back soon. And if I go with Paige, we'd barely make it to the beach on the Irvington side before someone caught up to us. I don't want to think about what would happen then. Paige kicks off her sneakers and perches on the edge of the boat. The wind is whipping violently now, the sky darkening. Azak doesn't like to be kept waiting. Go, I tell her, trying for a reassuring smile. I'll meet you on the other side of the lake as soon as I can. Just stay away from the island. Once she's in the water and paddling away, I don't waste time. It won't be long before the storm rolls out of control and Azak unleashes on Milden. I've known for a long time that I might have to cut out of town quickly. There's a bag with clothes and a little cash under my bed. I can make it to the house and back in 15 minutes, across the lake in another 20 if I push the engine. It'll be close. At the dock, my father is one of those waiting. It's done, he asks. I wipe a sweaty palm against my shorts. I yeah. The wind shifts his hair as he looks to the graying sky. He purses his lips and nods, offers me a hand up out of the boat. Shoulders slumping with relief, I take his hand and hop up onto the creaking wood platform. I turn back to tie off the boat, and pain explodes in my head. As a curtain of black falls, I hear, Sorry, son. When I wake, the sky is calm and orangish, with no sign of the impending storm. Through the throb in my head, I hear water lapping nearby, a boat's engine growling in the distance. With a groan, I shift my limbs and feel out the rocky ground beneath me. The island. 
I push against the rocks, struggling to sit up. A face appears over mine, blurry, but ringed with familiar golden curls. Paige? Not quite, she says with a wink. She drops a hand to her hip and sighs. I told your old man you didn't have the stones to pull it off, but he believed in you. Azek. She laughs as I crab backwards across the rocky beach. A sharp stone digs into my palm and I cry out. She's on me in a flash, sharp nails digging into the meat of my upper arm. Her pretty mouth twists into a garish grin. Thanks anyway for the ride. That's a great story from Dark Dossier and author Chrissy Rohrman. If you'd like to read this publication for yourself, go to darkdossier.com. That's D-A-R-K-D-O-S-S-I-E-R.com. If you'd like to read more of the author's work, I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, it's time to swing open the saloon doors and let me tell you about what I'm drinking today. This is an old standby for me and a pretty common choice for lubricating my vocal cords while I podcast. Today, I'm drinking one of my favorite brands of scotch, Johnny Walker. Now, I'm a lover of many whiskeys, but there's just something about that smoky, peaty goodness that sets scotch above the rest. So even more than being a whiskey guy, I'd say I'm a scotch guy. I've had a good number of brands of scotch. I like Dewar's and Ballantine. I'm a big fan of Chevis Regal. Now, if you live outside of Texas, you probably say Chivas, but here in the Lone Star State, we call it Chevis. Why? I don't know. It's not even spelled that way, but whatever. Uh, I've even tried some of the fancier scotches like Aberlore and McAllen, and I know a lot of whiskey snobs turn their noses up at Johnny Walker, but this brand deserves more respect than it gets. Is it a McAllen? No, but for 40 bucks for a bottle of Black Label, it stings a lot less to shell out for Johnny Walker than it does for McAllen. I like to drink it neat or sometimes on the rocks. Occasionally I like to do a little something extra to it. Uh, one of my favorite things is I like it to mix it with a, a little sparkling water. It sort of separates the flavors a little so you can appreciate all the, all the nuances of the scotch, all those subtle flavors. And it really brings out the smokiness. You probably wouldn't want to do that to a glass of McAllen, though. <laughs> that would be like blasphemy to a Scotch snob. Red Label uh, is even cheaper than Black, but I, I say pay a little bit more and get Black Label. It's not that much more expensive, but in my opinion, it is a much smoother and more flavorful Scotch than Red. It's cheap enough to be an everyman's Scotch, and not one that was so expensive you had to take out a loan just to get a 20-ounce bottle of it and you won't feel like you're wiping your ass with a Picasso if you have the urge to make a cocktail with it. Even I feel a little bit bad about doing this, but I've even had Johnny Walker in a Boilermaker before, and it was the best damn Boilermaker I ever had. So, I know there's a lot of snobbery around scotch, and I'm sure I'm gonna raise the ire of some of the scotch aficionados with my little plug for Johnny Walker, but hey, if you buy it, do what you want with it. And, you know, even if you want to shell out $2,300 for a bottle of 25-year McAllen and your favorite way to drink it is mixed with Red Bull and Hawaiian Punch, hell, man, it's your bottle, so do what you want with it. Uh, you know, some scotch snob's head just exploded like that guy from the movie Scanners. All right, so let's get into this thing. Let's slice into this turd and find out what makes it so fucking stank. Overall, I'd say that this movie, Evil in Us, falls comfortably into the not-good category, but it's one major mistake that really turns this unremarkable loaf into a greasy steamer. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about this movie because, quite frankly, 
This movie doesn't go into much detail in itself, either. The characters are forgettable. The plot is stupid. The story progression is predictable. The acting isn't bad, for the most part, but it's nothing to write home about, either. The only character that stands out in any way to me was the character Bash, played by Batash Fazlali, mostly because he did a great job of playing a believable prick. Usually the asshole character in these movies is way over the top and you end up wondering why the other characters even associate with him at all. But I can see people hanging around with Bash. He's a pretty likable guy. He's just kind of immature and sometimes immature people are pricks. So well done there, Batash, and uh, he was actually nominated for Best Male Supporting Actor at the 2016 Canadian Leo Awards uh, for his role in this movie. Somehow the leading lady, Debs Howard, playing the character Bree, was also nominated for Best Female Lead at the same awards show, which makes me wonder what kind of crappy movies this film was up against, because her character was so flat. It's not that she did a bad job of playing the character, it's just that there wasn't much to the character in the first place. So, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm gearing up to take a steaming elephant shit on this movie. There's a lot to dislike here, and one major thing to hate. But I believe in giving credit where credit is due, and there's one thing this movie did very right. This movie has one of the most badass opening credit sequences I've ever seen. And it's, it's pretty simple, too. It's just footage of this girl submerging herself in blood, then re-emerging from it in slow motion. Lots of close-up shots of blood running down her body and down her face. It's, it's pouring out of her mouth when she comes back up. She looks savage. She looks brutal. And it all goes down to the song Big Beast Eat Little Beast by Toledo. like the most metal baptism I've ever seen. If you get a chance, watch the opening credit sequence of this movie, then turn it off, because the rest of the movie, I wish I had two copies of it, one to take a shit on and the other to cover it up with. There are a couple of other interesting things they did with this movie that, while they don't make the movie worth watching, they are interesting and worth mentioning. Really, they're just two things in zombie-slash-pseudo-zombie movies where this movie does something that doesn't follow standard tropes. One is that the zombification or infection or whatever, it's not permanent. When the crazy coke wears off, they go back to being their normal selves and get a chance to witness the horrific awe that comes with realizing you've killed and eaten your friends. Uh, I've heard of people going to blackout rages on cocaine, but damn, son. The other interesting thing is that these zombies don't just attack the uninfected. They kill each other, too. That's right, there's some zombie versus zombie action in this movie, which could have been crazy awesome if they'd had some good ideas or some choreography or something, but instead they just kind of shaky-cammed their way through it. You can't really tell what's going on. All you know is it's two zombies fighting each other, 
and then one wins somehow. I guess just the idea of a zombie-on-zombie -zombie brawl was supposed to be awesome enough that they didn't have to actually show us anything exceptionally cool. Alright, so we have that sliver of good out of the way. Let's dive on into the bad so I can let you know what I really hated about this movie. This is a pseudo-zombie movie, sort of like 28 Days Later. They're not technically zombies, in the classical sense, in that a zombie is a reanimated corpse of a dead person that craves human flesh. These people aren't dead, they're just high as kites on tainted cocaine. The coke makes them go balls out crazy and eat each other. So there's this weird anti-drug message going on, which, I mean, come on, th this movie came out in 2016. Do we need another don't do drugs movie? Did we need the horror movie version of Reefer Madness? Anyway, so we follow this group of friends who go on a 4th of July trip together to a secluded island cabin where they're going to have a barbecue, do some coke, and just have the time of their lives. Just live their best lives out there on the island. So this is not me just being dismissive of this movie because I didn't like it. I took notes on the plot while I was watching it, and there's just not much to say. There's some tension between Bree's boyfriend and one of the other guys for a weird reason. He saw the guy walking away from the general area that Bree was, so the boyfriend illogically assumes that they were screwing around behind his back or something. And then the first guy who tries a little of the tainted coke starts losing control of his emotions, and he sucker punches Bash, and then he runs away. And Bash just never lets go of that for the rest of the movie. Even when they know this guy isn't in his right mind, and people are going crazy for reasons yet unknown, Bash just can't get over being sucker punched. And even when he's left to keep the injured safe, he abandons them to go find the dude that sucker punched him. Like, seriously, that's about as deep as these characters go. When the need to retaliate against a random punch in the face is the deepest internal struggle we get between two characters, it's gonna be a pretty flat movie. So as the movie goes on, we get these intercut scenes of some kind of experiment that's going on with live human test subjects. And it's clearly against their will. They're being treated really inhumanely. There's this older guy who seems like he's either in charge of the experiment or he's been left to oversee it or something. And they really play this guy up to be evil. There's this one scene where he and his wife, I think, are watching the test subjects over closed circuit TVs and they're having something administered to them. We find out pretty quickly it's the tainted coke. And the test subjects start going out of their minds, screaming and thrashing and tearing their hair out. But it's on CCTV, so, you know, it's like surveillance cameras, so there's no audio or anything, only visual. Then the wife turns to the tech running the cameras and says, would it be possible to turn on the audio? I'd love to hear the screams. So the tech does something at the terminal to let her hear the audio of the test subject's suffering, and she seems to really enjoy it. So we're setting these people up to not only be evil, but to be unbelievably inhuman monsters, getting off on people dying in agony. So we learn that this tainted coke has been engineered in a lab. Somebody is putting bad coke out on the streets to make people kill and eat each other. Okay. So this movie isn't good by any stretch of the imagination. But at this point, I'm going, alright, I'm interested. Who's masterminding this? Who wants to make all the coke users go berserk and why? Well, they spelled that out for you in no uncertain terms. 
the evil old guy who was in charge of the experiment turns out to be a senator, specifically a Republican senator from Texas, who is using the news of this tainted murder coke to renew America's war on drugs. And this guy is planning to use that as his platform to run for president. Now, first of all, the war on drugs isn't something that's going to win anybody the White House anymore. Because of decades of overblown scare tactics and misinformation by D.A.R.E. and other anti-drug propaganda machines, the view of the war on drugs is not a favorable platform anymore. And it's a losing battle. More and more states are legalizing marijuana. Most states recognize at least some form of legal acceptable use for it, even if only medicinally. And just recently, Oregon became the first state to decriminalize all drugs, all controlled substances, and there's talk of other states following suit. So congratulations to drugs for winning the war on drugs. You get the picture. This is a really stupid reason to kill tens of thousands of people. And it's not even going to work. When people were smoking bath salts and eating each other's faces, we didn't see a renewal for the war on drugs. So why would murder coke be any different? This is stupid enough already that it's politicians behind the engineering of murder coke. It reminds me of that Cheech and Chong movie. Uh, I think it was Nice Dreams, or maybe Next Movie. I know it wasn't Up in Smoke. I think it was Nice Dreams, but anyway, the government engineers a strain of marijuana so that whoever smokes it turns into a lizard. Uh, this movie makes about as much sense, too, but, you know, at least Cheech and Chong were funny. <laughs> hey, man. Am I driving okay? I think we're parked, man. Oh, what's the problem, son? Roll down your window. Keep on knocking, but you can't come in. Can I see your license, sir? What? Your license. Where's your license? It's on the bumper, man, back there, man. I just thought it was real funny, man. Hey, your mama. Oh, man. But they couldn't just leave it at that. They had to make one specific political party the bad guys. And the scenes that roll over the end credits are all just fabricated news stories showing you how Republicans are just the scum of the earth. Not only are Republicans evil, but they're cartoonishly evil. The plan is, I guess, that since only Democrats smoke weed, they'll be too busy eating each other to turn up at the polls. What kind of snidely whiplash horse shit is this? I can't believe they didn't give the evil senator a big curly mustache to twirl and go, <laughs> It's literally stating that Republicans are willing to murder thousands of innocent people for a cockeyed ass-backwards shot at the White House. I'm sorry, but if you believe that, you need to get your head examined. And by the way, Republicans definitely use drugs too. Just ask Karl Rove, man. Now, just so I can make myself perfectly clear, this is not me ragging on a movie because it went out of its way to insult my political party. I know, it's easy to assume that I'm a Republican. I live in Texas, after all. In general, I think you should leave your political views out of the entertainment industry. So, as an author and a podcaster, I don't think this is the place for spewing my political opinions. But just so you know, I'm not blindly defending Republicans here. I'll tell you enough to know that I'm not a Republican. 
I think the Republican Party is largely an agent of the status quo in a time that we seriously need change. And I think they're more concerned with enshrining their legacies than going to bat for their constituents. But I'm not a Democrat either. I actually think the Democrats are more manipulative and power-hungry than the Republicans are. I'm a libertarian on paper, and I'd love to vote libertarian one day if the party could ever get its shit together. Really what I think is that they should ban running on a party platform altogether, and every politician has to run as themselves only, with no party affiliation whatsoever. But, unfortunately, people prefer to be told what to think instead of thinking for themselves. So the parties are probably not going anywhere anytime soon. People want to pick a party and just do whatever their party says and think whatever their party thinks. No independent thought necessary. <sighs> but I digress. Sometimes I think I lean more toward anarchism, to be honest, more and more these days. So I'm not saying I hate this movie for bad-mouthing Republicans. I hate this movie because it furthers the deepening polarization in America. And we have more than enough of that already. Just look at Twitter. I'm a big fan of the idea of Twitter, but I can't stand everyone using it as a soapbox for their half-baked, ultra-partisan political views, which is everybody. As a horror author, Following Stephen King on Twitter is kind of a no-brainer, and I genuinely like the man. I've heard a lot of his talks, I've read his book on writing, uh, and I love his sense of humor. But when Trump was president, holy shit, all he talked about was Trump and Trump supporters, and how they were all a fat gaggle of idiots. Joyce Carol Oates was kind of the same way. And of course, other celebrities of all kinds came out to either support or bash Donald Trump. Your celebrities. Your job is to entertain, not to stir up political issues. If you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god, and... So... Well said, Ricky. Well said. I just, I hate that this has become a thing. I hate that we're being divided more and more. It used to be that entertainment was, it was something that we could all get on board with. And it didn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, or if you were on no side of the aisle. It didn't matter what country you were from. It didn't matter, you know, all the things, all the ways they like to divide us these days. At least we could all come together and enjoy a good scare. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't even make sense from a business standpoint. Because let's be honest, if you want to be a successful author, if you want to be successful in entertainment, you need to make yourself relatable to as many people as you can. You want the majority of everybody to be able to enjoy your work. And, you know, uh, the United States is pretty well divided right down the middle, 50-50, between conservatives and liberals. So why do you want to cut out 50% of your potential audience right off the bat? Even people that share your political views, not all of them are going to like your work. And, you know, we're talking about 
I'm talking to horror authors here. People or anybody that wants to make horror content. Already, this is kind of a specialized interest. You know, not everybody likes horror. It is growing, and I, I love that uh, the interest in horror is growing. But you're already going to have a smaller fan base than something like, you know, straight-up comedy or, you know, something that has a much broader appeal to people. So why do you want to reduce the number of people that could like your work even further? It, it, it just it doesn't make sense from a business standpoint. And I know a lot of people seem to be happy to segregate these days. I just, I don't understand that. Why do we need to focus on the ways that we're different? I really think that we should be focusing on the ways that we're the same. That's how we get stronger. That's how we can be, that's how we can relate with each other more. There will always be ways that we're different and ways to celebrate, you know? Uh, it's awesome that here in the United States, we have such a melting pot of cultures. I'm not a big sports guy, but that was another thing. No matter what your views were, everybody could assemble around a sport and just and enjoy the sport, enjoy baseball, enjoy football, and it didn't matter what side of the aisle you were on. Uh, you know, the divisions were, oh, okay, do you root for this team or do you root for this team? And that's a much more light-hearted polarization. Because at the end of the day, we're all still fans of the same sport. But they've divided sports. They've divided movies. There, there are movies that specifically cater to liberals. And there are movies that specifically cater to conservatives. And, I mean, obviously this movie, The Evil in Us, is one that specifically caters to Democrats. Or at least people who hate Republicans. And if you look online... You'll see, if you look at the reviews on IMDb for this movie, you'll see that most people either didn't like it at all or thought it was okay, but the ending really just ruined it for them. Even people that agree, you know, even people that dislike Republicans, uh, they, they think that that ending was just so ham-fisted in there that it ruined any enjoyment that was gleaned from the movie at all, which, you know, I feel like you really got to wring that sponge out to get any enjoyment out of it, but uh, that's just me. There, there are a few people who reviewed it, honestly, mostly professional critics, who seem to want to extol it for that ending, but that was the, really the only redeeming factor they had. And so, yeah, you know, if you cater to one side or the other, you're always going to have... Uh, a select group of people that go, well, yeah, I hate Republicans too, so I, I like that ending, you know, or, or, you know, whoever you decide to pick on or whoever you want to extol, um, you're always going to have people who agree with it that think that's a good thing. But I don't care if you make an ending that perfectly aligns with all of my political and ideological views. If you're demonizing other people in this country just for having specific views, I'm not interested in it. I'm not here for it. I don't want to hear it. Because I'm so fed up with this. I'm so fed up with the movement that we, we all have to find our own people and everybody outside of this group 
that we've we've enshrined as our little group of rightness nobody else is welcome everybody else is the bad guy and i just i don't think that's helpful to anyone it's quite troubling in fact now jason william lee the director uh he's canadian this is a canadian film so all i can say about that is uh if you are gleaning, you know, outside of the U.S., if you are gleaning your view of American politics from the American media, which you're probably getting it from CNN, I would guess, because CNN, um, they're the, the, the most widely distributed news broadcasting company, well, American news broadcasting company in the world. And they are very biased. So if you are, are getting your news from them, really... Honestly, just don't trust any American political news media. They're all crooked. They're all biased. If you're listening to MSNBC or CNN or any of those guys, you are getting a heavy liberal slant on the news. If you're listening to Fox or Newsmax, you are getting a heavy conservative slant to the news. And really the only way to know what's actually going on is to take the bare bones information you get, disregard the commentary, and figure out how you feel about this stuff for yourself. Like that's the only way to do it. And um, I I don't really know what it is that made Jason William Lee, a Canadian, think that American conservatives, or I guess specifically Republicans, are so dastardly evil. Uh, but, I mean, that would be my guess. It would be my guess that uh, it's because he's been listening to CNN. And if, if, that's your, if that's your source for American political news, you know, I, I can hardly fault him for thinking that. I think they even mentioned the Tea Party. Like, the, the Tea Party is so evil and wicked. But anyway, man, I don't know. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's so, it's so ridiculous. And it needs to stop. I would love it if people could just come together and throw out all the ridiculous reasons that they disagree with each other on all these political issues. And just be able to enjoy something for what it is. Just enjoy a scary movie together. Enjoy a baseball game. Let's leave politics out of it. We don't need to segregate ourselves. We don't need to put ourselves in these groups where if you want to be part of our group, you got to think exactly the way we do. Let's be able to accept people who don't agree with us completely, politically or ideologically. Let's just, let's just do that. Let's, let's accept people. If I could only be friends with people who agreed with me on everything, I wouldn't have any friends. And you know, I mean, if, if we're all honest with each other, I don't think any of you would either. Because we're all different people, we all have different points of view, and nobody, look, nobody is the devil for believing what they believe. They have different experiences than you. They've come to, they've drawn different conclusions than you, and it doesn't make them bad people. Let's just, let's look at each other with, in a more human light, I guess, instead of vilifying each other because we just have a simple difference of opinion anyway that's uh that's my rant 
for today that was brought on by this movie. And really, you know, it's not just about this movie. It's about all the other things I mentioned and countless other things that I didn't mention. This movie just kind of... I, I just haven't seen it spelled out so blatantly before in a movie. TV shows, they can get a little a little brazen about it. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is really the first movie I've seen that really just calls out a political party as, you know, being Satan. And uh, I don't have any more patience for it. So, anyway, as I said... Dark Dossier Magazine is uh, my recommendation for today. They are a fantastic publication. You can read most of their issues for free. The ones that you can't, uh, it's, it doesn't cost much to read their issues. There's, a, there's usually a coupon code to read just about any of them for free if you know where to look. So go to their website, check out their website, darkdossier.com, and uh, it's pretty easy to find the codes they have to, to read free issues. And... Um, I've read a few of them. They are a pretty high-quality magazine. With these literary magazines, you know, sometimes it's hit and miss. A lot of these places will accept stories that, uh, man, I have no idea why <laughs> they accepted the things that they did. But everything I read in Dark Dossier so far has been really good. I've really enjoyed it. As I've said before, these literary magazines are very important to to keep going, in my opinion, because they keep the short story format relevant. And that's something that I would, I, I think that we should be preserving. Uh, short stories are, are great, but there is not, there just isn't the same marketability for them anymore, unless you're in a publishing an anthology. And for a lot of us writers, that is a way to break out. You know, if you are a very prolific short story writer, that's a great way to build up a resume and to get your foot in the door with some bigger publishers. So, yeah, definitely support Dark Dossier and all of these lit mags uh, to keep the short story format relevant. And just as a quick aside, just to, to go back to the, the main topic for a minute, I've noticed this as a trend in speculative fiction, too, in horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. It seems to be getting more and more partisan these days, too. It seems to be dominated by a certain ideology. And I don't know why that is. It kind of baffles me. But, you know, I'd really like to see a lot more diversity. Uh, diversity of, of opinion. A diversity of ideology. In speculative fiction. Because I don't think it should be just one ideology that, that dominates. You know what I mean? Anyway. Alright, I'm going to stop rambling now. I'm going to finish my scotch. And uh, I will catch you guys for uh, episode number 13. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as always, stay creepy. Thanks for listening. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about or a work of horror you'd like to hear reviewed, be it a movie, book, game, or TV show, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at elvillanova double zero at gmail.com check out my wordpress site to read more horror and writing topics or to read the rough transcripts of the show you can find that at edwardvillanova.wordpress.com lastly you can follow me on twitter at edwardvillanova <laughs>